For those who fish, this is the Drake Cast, a voice for culture and conservation within fly fishing. He was tying feathers on a hook. I'll do a hopper with a hopper dropper with a dropper hopper. The river was like a woman. It could be a disco midge, it could be a bead head. I'm your host, Elliot Adler. This episode of the Drake Cast is sponsored by Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures. My name is Camille Egdorf. I work at Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures in Bozeman, Montana, and we are a travel agent specializing in fly fishing travel all over the globe. Camille has starred in a ton of fly fishing films and is quite the adventurer. My most recent adventure was to Christmas Island out in the South Pacific. We were chasing all sorts of species, uh, giant trevally, milkfish, bonefish, uh, triggerfish, all sorts of crazy weird stuff. My best memory, probably a big school of milkfish and mullet getting busted by a bunch of GTs while walking on the flat. They all potted up into a big school and you know, four or five GTs were coming in and taking a swipe at them. You know, every 10 seconds or so. So it was a pretty neat experience. One of those situations where I was more captivated by what was going on and forgot to cast. Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures will make sure you get there. It's up to you whether or not you make that cast. Check them out at yellowdogflyfishing.com. Okay, on to the show. In July of 2017, I drove up to Green Bay, Wisconsin, and stopped in at the local fly shop, Tight Lines Fly Fishing Company. The aquatic insect life is absolutely spectacular. Now, this is not a trout stream. This is a warm water river. It's here that I met Charlie Pate, the proud owner of a mustache. He's also the fishing manager and guide for the shop. And I was there to ask him about a certain river. The mainstay of our guide business is drift boat flow trips for smallmouth bass. Predominantly, we guide on the Menominee River. It is as good of a smallmouth river as there is in the country, without any question. The Menominee River is a major tributary of Lake Michigan, and it actually forms the border between Wisconsin and Michigan's Upper Peninsula. And we're in a, in a fortunate situation right now where the water quality is so good, there is an absolute abundance of food of a lot of different varieties. So there are uh, lots of them, and they're big. So great. The Menominee River is an incredible smallie fishery. But this episode isn't just going to be me hotspotting someplace with killer fishing. Our biggest <laughs> rule for years is never name the river. We don't talk about this river. We don't write articles about this river. I mean, it has been what has made our business successful. So then why was Charlie willing to talk to me, a guy with a microphone who works for a fishing magazine, about this river that he likes to keep secret? The reason is that Charlie's afraid that this river might not be worth keeping secret for all that much longer. To better understand what's going on, I need to introduce another character. Bada boom, boom, boom. Because his story really illustrates the issue at hand. <laughs> this is Ron Henriksen. He's an older guy, but still spry, has a kind smile, and thinning white hair that he covers with a Cubs hat. I met him in the town of Stevenson, Michigan, which is just a couple miles away from the Menominee River. And he told me about his connection to the area. A friend of a friend was down in Chicago. I was 14 years old. He invited me to come up to his dairy farm in Porterfield, which is just south of here. And I, I came up and spent a couple weeks, went back home. Following you, the day I got out of school, I got on the train, and I came up here. My parents says, when are you coming home? And I says, when does school start? And they says, September the 3rd. I'll be home the 1st. And uh, so I spent my summers until I had to work. 
and fell in love with the place, the whole area. Upon graduating high school, Ron started working for the Postal Service in Chicago. But every chance he got, he'd come up to the border between Wisconsin and Michigan's Upper Peninsula. And then in 1977, we bought a cabin on the Menominee River. Um, we had that for over 20 years. And then 1998 came about, and we saw this place. A cozy house overlooking the Menominee River. So we, we, we bought our what we thought was our dream house. Okay, it needed a lot of work. <laughs> we, we put a lot of time and effort and money uh, into the home, and, and in 2003, we thought, this is it, we're moving up. So, oh my God, this was Shangri-La, six acres on the river. And uh, just prior to that, you know, we'd come up on weekends and that, and we got wind of what was happening. Um, and uh, we, hoped, we hoped that it would go away, but it didn't go away. What exactly is that ominous it that Ron is talking about? Well, Ron drove me over to the Menominee River to show me. Well, I've never seen the vegetation. Everything is just so thick. Yeah, with all the rain. Oh, my God. We turned onto a back road that ran parallel to the river. Now, this is part of the savanna. That's kind of a state forest. There are threatened and endangered species, plants and animals that live there. Such as? There's a red shoulder hawk and some of the plants I can't pronounce half the names. But. Ron pulled off to the shoulder and put his truck in park. This is where I lived, me and my neighbor, right down here. Remember Ron's dream home? Well, just about the time he was putting the finishing touches on his Riverside Manor, a neighbor was digging a well and found some strange rocks. And the reason they were strange is that they actually contained really, really high levels of gold, zinc, copper, and silver. Not long after this discovery, Ron's neighbor sold his land for $12 million to Aquila Resources, a mining company that has the intention of turning this area into an open pit mine, known as the Back 40 Project. I'll show you how close we are now. Right around the bend is, is there, is, is where they want to put the mine. But. but the mine hasn't been built yet. And for a lot of people, this mine, it could be a good thing. The company behind it is promising to bring tons of jobs to the area and increase local tax revenues. But, and this is where the fishing comes in, the proposed mine is right on the Menominee River, within 150 feet in some parts. And that proximity is what has put this waterway on American Rivers list of the 10 most endangered rivers in the United States. So this is the story we're going to be covering today. The proposed Back 40 project on the banks of the Menominee River. And I know that this story is one we've all heard before. Jobs versus the environment. And for those miners, get ready because you're going to be working your asses off. All right? But we're going to look into the role that we play in this debate and how we can shape the fate of the Menominee River. So stick around. Back in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, Ron and I continued down the gravel road bordering the proposed mine. So all this on the right side now, these are all drill holes. A few deep holes sat just off the road, but Ron ensured me there were hundreds more that we couldn't see. Initially, Ron was against this mine because it was going to be too close to his dream home. But eventually, motivated by fears of plummeting housing prices in the area, Ron sold out and moved about 45 miles north. 
Now, Ron is still active in the fight against the mine for a different reason. You know, a lot of people don't understand why I still do this when I haven't lived here for five years. Well, <laughs> I believe in what I've been doing for my entire retirement. And that, I don't think this is a good idea to put a sulfide mine right on top of the Menominee River in such a beautiful area. I always said this from the beginning, if this project could be stopped, it's worth losing my home. And Ron may have good reason to be concerned. During my conversation with Charlie Pate, the guide we met at the beginning of this episode, he told me about the risks of this mine. And I trusted what he said because he has a master's degree in environmental science and policy. I think it's really important to address what exactly an open pit sulfide mine is. Sulfide mining, what that refers to is extraction of metal from hard rock. In this case, it's going to be gold, zinc, and copper. Rock is dug up, blasted, pulverized, and the metals that they're seeking are, are taken out of that rock. All of the stuff that you don't want in the water is then exposed to air and water, and so that creates sulfuric acid. That acid continues to break down, and that exposes a bunch of really toxic heavy metals. So it's kind of a one-two bad case scenario for water quality. And the mine of that size is absolutely gigantic. It's 750 feet deep and 83 acres. So it is a huge, huge pit. I mean, it's going to be located about 100 feet away from the banks of the river. So, you know, is this a huge threat? Absolutely. And there's historic precedence for this type of mine being dangerous. Remember that big spill on Colorado's Animus River a couple years back? A state of emergency has been declared in Colorado this morning. The Animus River turning a toxic orange color. Three million gallons of sludge into that river, which is now laced with dangerous chemicals and heavy metals, arsenic and lead among them. We get the latest well, those three million gallons of toxic waste were the remnants of a massive sulfide mine held in ponds not dissimilar to those that would be created by the proposed Back 40 project. The mine responsible for that waste in Colorado shut down in 1923, and the remnants were still able to cause a catastrophe some 90 years later. Aquila Resources plans to process the extracted ore on site, which means millions of tons of contaminated tailings will be left in close proximity to the Menominee River. And Charlie, the fishing guide, he's worked directly with mines like the Back 40 Project. I actually work for the EPA and I help monitor point source pollution from a whole slew of different facilities all around the Great Lakes. And I can tell you with 100% honesty, they're supposed to be held to certain water quality standards, and those standards are broken all the time. All the time. And what happens in a lot of cases is they will get a slap on the wrist, tighten it up, or they'll get a small fine sometime long after the fact, after this happened. And I mean, my big fear about wastewater into the Menominee River is, okay, so say they violate their requirements and all of a sudden there is something that dramatically changes the lower river. And I mean, that's absolutely going to destroy so much that's going on there right now. When the city of Waukesha, Wisconsin wanted to begin taking drinking water from Lake Michigan, they had to receive approval from all eight states and the two Canadian provinces that border the Great Lakes. But when a mining company proposes discharging a daily million gallons of mine waste into a major tributary of the Great Lakes, all they need is permission from Michigan's Department of Environmental Quality, the same department that recently had three of its employees charged with misconduct in office over the Flint, Michigan water crisis. Before we can go any further, we have to pause for a quick ad break. But when we come back, 
we'll hear a few more sides of this story. This episode is sponsored by Scott Flyrods. A couple months back, I had the pleasure of running into the president of Scott Flyrods, Jim Barchi. We're in a freezing cold convention center in Orlando, Florida at the International Fly Tackle Dealer Show. And I need a down jacket. And what happened yesterday? We won an award for the best freshwater fly rod, the G-Series. I asked a few folks about what they think of the award-winning Scott G-Series. My name's Pat Higgins. I'm from Denver, Colorado. I just cast the new G 9-foot 5-weight. I like it. It's very light. I like the way it feels. I have a G myself that's 20 years old, so I really wanted to see the difference. Uh, definitely a lot lighter. And where can you see yourself using that rod? Any trout stream. I mean, I'm talking from the Smokies in North Carolina to, to Yakima in Washington. But you don't have to take Pat's word for it. Head on down to your local fly shop and give the award-winning G-Series a cast. For more info, visit scottflyrod.com. Alrighty, back to this very uplifting episode about the Midwestern Menominee River. In, In addition, addition to, to environmentalists, environmentalists like, like Ron and, and people, people like Charlie, Charlie who depend on the river for their livelihood, there's another, another distinct group that has, that has come out against the proposed mine. mine. And to get their point of view, I called up a friend of Ron's. My name is Anaquit. A-N-A-H-K-W-E-T. That's my real name, but if you look on my license, it says Guy Writer. Um, I'm a community organizer on the Menominee Indian Reservation. Anaquit is a member of the Menominee Indian Tribe in Wisconsin and I spoke to him about the opposition of a group of eight Native American tribes to the proposed mine. They call the river the Menominee River. They also call the county where the potential mine site is going to be the Menominee County. And they call it that because of us. Uh, in our oral history, this is where we came from. Our oral history as a tribe starts at the mouth of the Menominee River with that first ancestral bear that came out of the earth there thousands of years ago. The earliest non-Native records indicate that we were there at that spot when uh, Jean Nicolet first landed here. You look at the archaeological record, you can see, obviously, that we've been there for thousands and thousands of years. I'm telling you this, if we could go back to the Garden of Eden for the Christians, and then just imagine if they were going to put a mine on top of it or right around it, right next to it. Could you imagine the, the upheaval in this country that would happen? But it's not just the mouth of the Menominee River that's important to Anaquet and the Menominee tribe. While Ron drove me around the site of the proposed mine, he pulled off to the side of the road and pointed out a strip of forest near the river, just across from the proposed mine site. Now right here on your right, this is all your Indian burial grounds. Anaquet explained more. There's three known burial mound groups that are right within their project area. And yes, they may not be right within the footprint of the actual pit, but they're right next to it. These are not relics, or they're not things to be put in a museum and viewed. You know, these are actual real people, and they had a life at once. They very well could have been one of my grandmothers or grandfathers that created those mounds there that prayed and, and, and touched that land. And for me to be able to go there and put my hands where their hands might have been, how do I explain that? How do I allow people to understand the significance of it? Anaquit also wanted to clarify his stance against the mine. It's not that we're against helping those folks out that are living around that area that need jobs, not that at all. It's the very fact that, you know, we've been victimized for a long time in this country and our voice is just about non-existent anymore. And we're no longer going to stay silent. 
and allow these things to happen to our ancestral homelands and to the things that we hold so very much dear in our hearts. We're going to do everything we can to stop it. But clean water is, is a nonpartisan issue. You know, we need to be the voice for those ones that don't have a voice. And that's our four-legged brothers and sisters. That's the winged ones. That's the insects. That's the plants. That's the fish. And I'd ask anybody that's listening to my voice to take time out of your day and just look outside and, and, and just admire the beauty that is our world. One group that's been absent from this conversation so far is the mining company, Aquila Resources. I really did my darndest to get them to agree to an interview. I called dozens of times. Yeah, actually, that is me. (laughs) And I thought I did get back to you. I went to their office in Stevenson, Michigan. Hi. Good morning. My name is Elliot Adler, and I'm here with the Drake Magazine. Um, I'm wondering if there's somebody with Aquila Resources that I could speak to. But only left with an email address that I already had. And then finally, just last week, I received an email from their communications department answering a few questions that I had sent them months ago. In this email, they emphasized the 250 jobs the mine would create, the safety measures that they're taking to avoid any contamination of the river or groundwater, and their commitment to restoration of the site after the mine is shut down, all of which is honorable. If we're to trust what Aquila Resources says and everything goes as planned, this could be a very successful project. But if something does go wrong, Who's going to be left with the bill? The Canadian mining company that can file for bankruptcy? Or the people who live and depend on the river? While I was up in that area, I spent a night alongside the Menominee River. I pulled my van into a parking lot and started a small fire with a back issue of the Drake magazine. A mixture of whiskey and the roar of the river put me to sleep. When I woke up the next morning, I went back into Stevenson, Michigan, to get a cup of coffee at the Rise and Shine Bakery. Yeah. Good morning. How are you? Well, yourself? I'm in town, um, work for a fishing magazine, and I'm in town just asking a couple questions about what people think about the mine. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say, talking fishing. Here's, here's the best fisherman yeah. in the county, right there. So, We're all sitting around doing nothing, but they all claim to be fishermen. Yeah. And everyone I met had something to say about the mine. I don't know. I mean, just some people like it, some people don't. It would kind of suck. I'm well, a, I mean, I'm for it if it's gonna bring jobs and stuff. I'm not for it. I'm not against it. You know. I don't agree with it at all. Yeah, it's gonna be a disaster, I think. I bought, I bought stock into it, so I'm all for it. Our children are going to pay for it. We won't. Okay. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Yeah. It's changed entities so many times that there will be no one responsible when it gets all done, okay, except fun. the people who live here. And you can complain all you want, but it's yeah. coming yeah. sooner or later. So. Us young guys are going to have to worry about what these guys want. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> There's one final group that has a role in this whole story. I guess my last question is, is do you have a phone in your pocket right now? Yep. What kind of phone? An iPhone. iPhones take gold that they're right. pulling out of the ground. Is this just a supply side problem? And that group is us. Aquila Resources may be the ones who want to dig next to a beloved river, but we're really the ones who want them to do the digging. I'm editing this audio on a computer that contains gold, silver, and copper, which Aquila is hoping to extract from the Back 40 project. 
And in the next 25 minutes, I'll probably grab my iPhone, which encases the same metals, to listen to a podcast, much like you might be doing right now. Would it be better to have a mine like this on the Congo River where regulation is non-existent and pollution is all but guaranteed? Or to put the mine on the banks of a river in China that doesn't have as good of bass fishing? I don't know. You tell me. Stick around for this week's field notes and scenes from our next episode. Tons of thank yous. Ron Henriksen, thanks for showing me around, and thanks to the folks you introduced to me. To Jesse thomas Blake and everyone at American Rivers, to Kathleen Heideman with the Upper Peninsula Environmental Coalition, Aniquet, keep up the good fight. Aquila Resources, thanks for eventually getting back to me. And to the town of Stevenson, Michigan. This week's field notes come to us from the guys at Tightlines Fly Fishing Company. Tightlines, this is Charlie. I called up Charlie to see how the Menominee has been fishing lately. Oh, just uh, weathering out high water. <laughs> it is not necessarily been indicative of poor fishing we've had some really really good fishing going on too it's just a lot different than it normally would be at this time of year and i asked them what they're catching them on surface bite has still been pretty good predominantly diver type stuff so big diving bugs swimming frogs have been really good yeah the the surface deal has been big big deer hair and that's been really really fun that kind of stuff and the minnow bite's been pretty good too bigger minnow patterns. Fishing is just going to keep getting better, better and better. Uh, hopefully we can get into a little more stable weather pattern and get the flows down. The damsel flies have absolutely exploded in the last handful of days. And so really looking forward to some good foam bug fishing here coming up in, in the next week or so. And uh, hopefully things will be just right back on track. Many thanks to Charlie and the whole Tight Lines crew. If you want to target big bass from a drift boat on a raucous river, give these guys a ring. You can find links to their site on our site, drakemag.com. Next week, we head out west and weasel our way into a secret trove of fly fishing treasures. Thanks for listening. This has been the Drake Cast.